1: This is Scott Richmond and Arnie Sherman. You're listening to What Do You Know on News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. Arnie Sherman, a good Sunday morning.
2: We are finally in spring here in Montana. Thanks the Lord that we finally can look out the window and not see snow everywhere. Does it stick? yeah i don't I think it's going to stick Arnie, I you saw some elk this morning at the window. There were about ninety elk right across the road from where uh, Scott and I live there were just a just a whole herd of them just ga- grazing and uh <laughs> gazing gazing we're going to be talking about Gaze today with uh with uh Ken Fickler from uh gays technology company that's engaged in cannabis and and uh, uh other kind of uh monitoring and and um regulatory kind of influence. So we'll, we'll hear all about that. Um, we were supposed to have a different show this week, Scott. What was this, it? This was this week we were supposed to talk about your <laughs> New <laughs> York activity and, and the excitement of, you know, we, we have not revealed all of that to our listeners. Do but we it's, out. Give, it's out. It's well, out. Do we want to give them a little tickler on that? Uh, t- <laughs> yep,
1: we'll... we'll- our book, The Art of the Straight Line, My Tai Chi, by Lou Reed and Laurie Anderson, came out on March 24th, and we are out worldwide on HarperCollins.
2: And what role did you play in this book? I am one of
1: the editors of this book, Arnie. Thank yes, you. and
2: his name is right there in, in, uh, in the spotlight, and we're going to do a whole show about it. I but, hope so, yes. But 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 we have a guest this that we week. thought was important to share his uh, his business story and the creation of his new company just launched, just got funded, just moving into uh, you know, their first sales activity. And we, we thought it was an interesting area um, uh, to focus on where they're starting, at least from the cannabis arena and monitoring whether you're impaired or not by uh, by uh, imbibing cannabis. I know.
1: Ken Fickler is his name. He is the CEO. Yes, and
2: so he's going to be joining us. He used to be the head of economic development of the state of Montana during uh, the last term of the Bullock administration. Uh, I was going to ask how you knew him yeah, he was. Is it through that? He, he spent four years working in the governor's office as the as the lead economic development person in the state. So he has a good handle uh, on uh, what's happening around Montana and that arena and, and had, had a commitment, I believe, we'll hear about it, to uh, – to starting his own business, and this is the one he chose to uh, to help start and be the leader of, and it's a uh, fascinating uh, um, work that he's doing. Yeah, it's a
1: great industry too, and it's nice to know that he's headquartered here in Missoula, Montana, or in Montana. Yes, and it's a he's building a company. Right, Gaze J A. G- excuse me, G
2: A I Z E dot A I dot A I. If anybody's going to go look it up before uh, we uh, bring Ken on and talk to him. Okay, we will be right back after
1: these words with Ken Fickler, CEO of Gaze. Back after this. Arnie, we are back with our guest, CEO of Gaze,
3: Ken Fickler. Ken, how are you? Doing well. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Well, it's a pleasure
2: to see you again. The last time I saw you, you worked in the governor's office heading up economic development for the state of Montana during the Bullock administration. Yeah. And now you're in the cannabis world. And uh, share with our listeners, what are you actually involved with in
3: cannabis? Those were good times. Um, So I I really became exposed to the problem I'm now working on while in the Bullock administration, actually. And so what we're creating, what we've created, is a product that can detect impairment from cannabis. So we're not a cannabis company. We are a a company that has produced a product that can work for enforcement and um, trying to prevent impaired driving and working.
2: And you're in the seed
3: stage of it, and you right. just received in uh,
2: November $1.2 million in seed funding to uh, to move the uh, process along. Am I correct?
3: It was actually March, March. of 22. Yeah. So that allowed us to do kind of all the work we did last I
2: tonight. got confused between March and then – in November was it where you completed the study of yep. 300? That's where I got confused. Yep.
3: So we did the clinical trial in November. And Largest and
2: clinical trial ever in the cannabis yep. field.
3: Yep. So ever
2: 50. Um, wow. Participants. You're yeah. Kidding. And what were you trying to figure out during that study?
3: So the way our product works is we measure how eye movement changes in response to cannabis impairment and other drug impairment. And so what we were doing in the study really was getting people high. And watching how <laughs> their eye movement changes using our instrument. Field you, studies. You we didn't yeah. call studies. us. We <laughs> <You laughs> didn't call us about because we like the pre- called as impairment. And there are many ways that you can become impaired. Uh, and you, yeah, conduct yeah these studies. we actually conducted it in Toronto, Ontario, because uh, cannabis is federally legal in Canada, and so we had a much much easier regulatory path. It was much cheaper for us to do it there, and so. You know, from our perspective, early stage company, we uh, went where it was most affordable to do, which was
1: Canada. How do you determine what strain of marijuana and cannabis you use? Is it an indica or a sativa? Is it a hybrid?
3: Yeah, so it was actually all over the map. We had, <laughs> we had any strain somebody wanted. So we actually had the consumers go out and buy recreationally available cannabis and bring it to the study. And so, whatever they wanted, we really? wanted people to have whatever they tolerated because there's actually some intolerances that can happen. And this, so,
2: this sounds like the best study I've ever heard of. <laughs> Go out and buy rec- recreational yeah. cannabis and come on in. We can literally feel the study of Missoula, <laughs> yeah, right? Can, yeah. yeah, especially exactly. pay
1: them. Wait a minute. So, Arnie, I know you have a question, but I have a question. <laughs> Please, we're all excited about, about this topic, obviously. So Do do the the detection of somebody under the influence of sativa is it different
2: than under indica?
3: Not remarkably. Ah, that's my question. Yes, that's your
2: question. Good. So, just just for scientific purposes, you're interested in the answer. Well, someone's sleeping under indica. (laughs) Exactly. You can't use the traditional sobriety testing kind of hardware to to determine whether somebody is under the influence, right?
3: Correct, yeah. So the way that THC works in the body is that it is very rapidly expelled by the body, and it's also what's called lipophilic, so it binds to fat cells. And that really is a confounding effect for normal chemical-type drug tests because – um, THC can then bind to the fat in the body and be slowly expelled over time so you've probably heard you know your analysis screenings can be positive for over a month since you've last used Right. Uh, saliva tests can be positive for up to about 48 hours since you last used um, and then you know blood tests are about two weeks and so you can't simply look at the amount of THC in the body and try to derive the experienced impairment from that number. Um, and there have been many studies that have validated that point. And so, what we did is we really looked at the science and we tried to understand what is the right way to measure impairment from cannabis. And it turns out that all other drugs work the way that cannabis does and that they bind to receptors in the brain. Um, and so, the amount of substance that you can measure in the body is not actually related to the impairment that is experienced. Um, so we really need to rethink as a whole how we think about impairment um, as we move down this path of legalization, if that's what we're going to do.
2: So you study 350 people and by monitoring their eye movement, you get some kind of level of um, imbibement or, or you, have, you get some kind of level of, of in- intoxication for right. impairment. Right. Yeah, well, well it's, it's not just impairment that I think you're looking at. You're trying. What to, are you looking at? That's a yeah, great that's criteria. Question. Are you looking at just impairment, yeah. or you're looking at a level of uh, of uh, you know being absorbed in the body, and, and and so tracking eye movements will lead to some kind of measurement of impairment. Is that correct?
3: That's correct. Yeah. So each drug has a unique way in which it impacts eye movement. And so what we were doing in the study is measuring how cannabis, in particular, impacts eye movement and creating then algorithms that can detect that within the data that we capture using our device.
2: So does the industry now or potentially will it have a standard in which shall accept your results as, you know, valid?
3: Yeah. Um, I mean, so the tests that we're using have been in use for about 45 years by law enforcement officers. So these are the track my finger tests you've probably seen on TV. Mm-hmm. And what they're looking for are these certain signs and symptoms of impairment that can manifest in the eyes. And so what we've done, basically, is we've created an automated version of those tests, and it runs in a VR headset. The VR headset captures eye movement data and video throughout that testing process, and then we, we analyze the data on the back end to look for the signs of impairment, the same ones that law enforcement officers do. And so these are currently accepted ways to look at impairment for cannabis, and we're, we've been able to very, very accurately create models that can detect this within eye movement data.
2: So it's slightly off, off the beaten path, but it just yeah. came into my mind. Does it affect blind people the same way, the same uh, results? If somebody was,
3: so we can't test blind people. You have to be able to watch a stimulus okay. move. Okay. Yeah. Um, so someone that's clinically blind, um, you know, we, we can't test them, right. and so there would have to be some other process. But also not driving probably or operating machinery. And right. So um, yeah, we're you know we're really focused on this driving and working while impaired problem.
2: So let's move to the, b- the more practical application of this, is there now a standard, like, you know, with blood alcohol level, there's a, a level that right. is generally, you know, recognized as you're drunk. Yeah. Is there a, a level of, of, of uh, intoxication from cannabis that is viewed as impairment?
3: Yeah. So this is a, a bit of a sticky issue, actually. There yeah. are some states that have decided, and Montana is one of them, that there should be some amount of THC in the, in the body beyond which you're determined to be impaired. Uh, unfortunately, there's no science behind that at all, and so you know, <laughs> in all their wisdom, the legislature said, "Well, we need some way to do cannabis DUI." So this is the best we've got, and that's it's really kind of crazy. The International Association of Chiefs of Police, the um, National Institutes of Justice, the um, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration have all come out with reports that say, "Please don't use." These they're called per se limits. That's the like point of weight for alcohol. Don't use per se limits for cannabis. They don't make any sense. There's no science behind them. Uh, so some states have still decided to do that, and uh, it's pretty silly. And now they're being challenged all across the country, of course, because they don't make any sense.
2: So somebody who would purchase your equipment, we have law enforcement will have some guideline that when they're using it to determine whether yeah. they have an enforceable, right. you know. Um, um, offense to uh, to uh, track and, and to monitor or to enforce.
3: So the way it's worked with human conducted tests right. is that if these signs and symptoms of impairment are present, then you're determined to be impaired and they take further action, whatever that should be. So we're operating on that same paradigm for now where if we detect these signs and symptoms of impairment, we simply say, hey, you failed this test. And then from there, the law enforcement officer or the business owner can say, well, we think that you're impaired based on failing this test, and and they can you know take further action.
2: I'm more interested actually in the business application than the law enforcement application. Yeah, I mean, are there are there is there concern, for example, about surgeons, pilots, you know, Uber drivers, uh, <laughs> you know, those, um, you know, people that are uh, are working in laboratories. I mean, it, it's legal. To have it right, and yeah, it's legal to use in ma- in many states and yeah. and, and Canada and federally. Right, you can yep. use it, so you can go out on your break and and get high
1: but and come about, back in.
2: But it's about abuse, not
1: use. Right. Yeah. So
3: what you know, one of the things that I've tried to um, really lean in on is this is allowing employees to use what is now a legal substance safely, rather than use it unsafely, show up to work high, put someone else's life at risk. Right. And so that's really what we're trying to prevent are these, you know, we're focused on safety sensitive positions. So industries might include mining, manufacturing, construction, oil and gas, uh, logging, things like that, you know, where if you show up high, you might kill the guy next to you. Pilots. You don't want pilots. Pilots, yeah. Great example.
1: But there but but there are a lot of folks that are using the using cannabis for medicinal purposes right. for pain, for chronic pain. Yeah. Right? Somebody that has a chronic back problem. Um so it's not you don't use alcohol for a chronic back problem. Yeah. So how do you how do you create a guideline that's fair and and not
2: right. how do you know penalizing somebody taking taking you know the al- how do you know that failing your test really means you're high and yeah. and, and you know and, and capable of performing your job to a satisfactory? Yeah, level? Yeah, I
3: mean, so we know that extremely accurately because what we did in our study is we brought in people in a sober state theoretically we actually caught someone that we're not. Uh, and then we got them high using recreational-available cannabis, supervised, so we know you know, we've got their eye movement when they're sober, we've got their eye movement when they're high. We know what those differences are, and we can very accurately detect those differences. I, I think um, what's important to perhaps explain, too, is that what we're disrupting is this paradigm of uh, a business saying, well, you can't use cannabis at all, right? They're saying um, now that in, in your example, this right. is a medicine that you can no longer use because you're going to be operating equipment, and we have a zero-tolerance policy for THC. Right. This allows you to prove that you're not high on the job and then go home and use your prescription medicine on your off time.
2: Well, particularly yeah. since it lasts in your body for a yeah. long time if yeah. you use some other ways of measurement, right? Exactly. If you, and if you a, did a hair follicle yeah. you know, analysis. Does, does they, do
1: people
3: metabolize THC differently, like does body types? Totally. Yeah. How does that work? Huge challenges with body type um, differences. So as I said, THC is lipophilic. It binds the fat in the body. You've got people that have a higher BMI are going to have much more sort of non-psychoactive THC being leached into their blood at any given time if they're a heavy user, nice. whereas someone who's very fit would have very you know, much less. So there's actually been um, studies that have shown that people can be um, positive above the established limits. For some, in some states that we mentioned, for up to two weeks after they last used. Wow. Which is insane. Right, right. And so now you've got someone who hasn't been high for two weeks driving around and they get a DUI and they're totally unimpaired. So what we need to establish is that they're impaired actively, not that they previously used. And so, yeah, the body type issue, you know, there's, there's issues with tolerance, there's issues with um, BMI. Um, We've even found, you know, some signal on, like, how old someone is, and that could be history of use as well as to, like, sort of how good are they at metabolizing THC? Sort of what's their metabolic rate of THC? What about
2: gender differences?
3: We haven't found much in gender, although women tend to have a higher um, uh, content of fat in the body, and so there tends to be sort of more non-psychoactive THC and and THC metabolites. You don't say
2: that around women, do you?
1: (laughs) How about delivery, delivery, no comment,
3: (laughs) the media of delivery,
1: meaning. Yeah. Flower. Yeah. Versus. Tincture versus, which is another,
3: yeah, incredibly important point. Uh, when you smoke THC, the THC content in your body spikes really, really high. Mm -hmm. Um, so the, the, the limit that Montana and most other states have established is five nanograms per milliliter. And when you smoke it, it can go up to about a hundred nanograms per milliliter, Mm. but then it also falls off very quickly. So within about 45 minutes or an hour, you're probably under that five nanograms per milliliter line, even though your high is still continuing for, you know, much longer period for edibles, they metabolize differently in the body. And so you never really reach that five nanogram limit, but you can be insanely impaired. (laughs) Right. And, of course, the high can linger for like six hours. Right. So it's, it's an incredibly – that that issue is incredibly confounding for tests that look at the amount of THC in the body. It's, it's so your really, test –
1: so the, the gaze test really kind of level sets everything. Totally,
3: yeah. And so our test works just as well for edibles as it does for smoked or vaped or you know whatever your method right. of consumption is.
2: You're measuring the impairment effect – Regardless of what the input is right right you can you know because people all the things that you right. said you metabolize it differently right. depending on your fat content in your body you do right. different things some people make home versions of things I know yeah. people in states where it right. has more flexible here going buy you know le- you know flowers and make their own stuff and yeah. who knows what you know how that's regulated but in your job you have a you have an interesting combination of responsibilities and challenges. You're not just producing a new, you know, bagel to go in the bagel market. <laughs> you're producing a, a, a technology, and then you ha- you're you entering a field that doesn't have the established, you know, framework. And so you have to do, as I, as I see it, you know, advocacy work and lobbying work and yeah. education work with lots and lots of people, not only from a legislative point of view, but from, you know, a business acceptance point of view.
3: It's, it's truly a disruptive technology. And I didn't really understand to what extent that was true until I started, you know, getting into this and having these conversations. But, you know, we've educated lawyers, prosecutors, judges, uh, business owners, law enforcement officers, um, you know, all all over the country Right. in the course of doing this work. And it's fascinating to me that, you know, this isn't better known. One, like this science is freely available. There's well, it's, not, reports, it's not better yeah. known.
2: And I'm sure you run into a lot of business owners who just say, we're just going to have a zero tolerance policy. That's just simple. It's easy. And, and, and you know. Yeah, and but there are only means of testing. Yeah. Are, are you high? Yeah, so right. there's yeah. there's two problems with that, actually. Yeah, um, I know. But I'm saying, yeah, yeah I understand <laughs> how, how you know, business owners in Montana and other places might be. I just, I don't want anybody smoke getting high. I'm working for me. Well, they yeah.
1: don't have, but they can get high before they get here.
2: Right. I'm going to get there. Sorry. It's not a logical argument. <laughs> right. right. I'm not saying it's logical. You're I'm just right. saying that's just the way a lot of people react to this, right? Which is
3: causing really severe hiring challenges for yeah. all of these business owners. Right. Totally, and the other side, true. they're saying business owners are saying, well, THC is legal, so we don't care about THC anymore. We're just going to take it off our drug panel. Um, and then, so in those cases, they're totally exposed to right. impaired workers as right. a result. Right. So it's an extremely challenging issue. And then the other one that I'll mention is some states are actually legislating that THC users are protected as a class, which means you as a business owner can no longer test your employees uh-huh. and take adverse action for the simple presence of THC. Right, because it's legal. And because the it's legal. Way they're doing That's it. like telling someone they can't have a beer after work. Right. And so our product allows for someone to maintain a safe workforce with a verifiably sober employee and allow them to live their life on the weekends. So-
1: So tell me the use case. So I am employer of let's say a person, people that work at a bar. How does your product work with let's say the owner? Do they employee comes in and do they immediately take a test? Right? How does it work? Yeah,
3: it it depends on how conversation. Yeah, it depends on how you want to deploy it. So you know we're having conversations with employers all over the country, and they all sort of have a different idea of what they want to do. Some want to do this. Proactive screening where they say, okay, we're going to test everybody before they start shift, or we're going to test five people at the start of every day. And some are saying, okay, well, we only really care if, like, we only want to do post-accident screening, or we want to do reasonable suspicion screening. We're, you know, this technology, I think, enables proactive screening in a way that has really been impossible historically. And so my hope is we can move towards the proactive methodology and away from the retroactive post-accident type of response. Right.
1: So like you walk in for your shift uh, at the mine and your supervisor has 10 headsets. Right. And they say, "Okay, guys, before we start the shift, let's do our THC
3: screening. Is this like a VR... Head, yes, it, it looks exactly like an Oculus or any other right. VR headset that you've seen. And how
2: long does it take for the results to, to be displayed or, or shared with the employer? From
3: the time you press the start test button, it takes six minutes to have results in hand. So it's a total do, game changer from that perspective too, whereas right. you're, you're historically waiting for a, a, your analysis test to come back right. or whatever.
2: And so in, in the six minutes, does the tester and the testee get the results at the same time?
3: So the test subject would never see the results. They go – we've got a mobile app, and so the mobile app really controls the whole – what's right. happening with the test. So the, the test administrator would get the results on the mobile app, but the test subject would never see them unless they get shared. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean they, they come in, and if they want what to share the, them, I guess they would.
1: What are the test results what, – what does the screen interface look like? Does it is it like a, a
3: numerical value, like they're between X and this? No. So basically, it's a list of the tests that we do, uh-huh. pass, fail on each of the tests. And then up at the top of the screen, we say no impairment suspected or impairment suspected. Huh. Um, okay.
2: So, so yeah. there are, there are, you, you mentioned talking to lawyers. To me, there's lots of legal... Uh, Tons of legal uh, things yeah, For yeah. example, <laughs> you're a heavy machine operator in a mine, and you're really needed that day. And you get tested... And, and the person responsible, it says, you know, likely impaired, but he really needs you, so he ignores the results of the test. And there's an accident. And then there's an accident.
3: Yeah. That would be a, a challenging issue for that employer.
2: Yeah. You know, and – um, at the
3: end of the day, we are hoping that people take this seriously and, and um, take appropriate action based on the test results, but that's out of our hands. Right.
2: Let me flip over to something else. You're Yeah. You work in the governor's office – you are now running a seed-funded startup. What's your background for do, for doing this job? And, you know, you seem very technically fluent at this point. What was the ramp-up <laughs> for you, Ken? Yeah. Give me, give us the sure. little background What's the bio? how you, how you yeah. got in the room today here?
3: Yeah, um, it has been a, a steep learning curve, I'll say. I, I've had a couple other, um, you know, small businesses in the past, um, at a marketing firm, and a web app development company, a mobile app development company, and a search engine optimization business. Um, before, right before I was in the governor's office, I was um, the head of marketing at a, an infrared optics manufacturing company.
2: Right. So you know, um,
3: that piece. Which yeah. Is- so and then you know the time in government was a bit of a departure from kind of what had been my career, but really, really fascinating experience that I thoroughly enjoyed, and I feel like we did great work. Um, I. When that was over, you know, when Bullock was termed out, I really felt this need to tackle this problem. This looked like not only a huge safety problem, a huge um, potential challenge that that could reverse legalization, a huge opportunity to improve justice outcomes for cannabis users, right. and also a huge market opportunity. Like, there's a big business here, right? And so, I mean, it I looked I, really interesting. My
2: mind is spinning about. For example, right. If I was the sales and marketing. Person for gays, I would be out there talking to every drone company. I go to the federal government and say, "You got all these drone operators out in the desert sitting yeah. in <laughs> sitting in you know in these Peyote. mobile u- no, sitting <laughs> right. in these mobile units, you know, bored out of their mind. You wouldn't want them impaired when they have to right. conduct drone strikes. For example, right. I'm
3: sure they're tested, but they may not
2: be tested for uh,
3: cannabis." they probably are so it, it being a, a federally schedule 1 substance still right it's um, a, okay anybody that's doing federal contracts or is regulated by a federal agency right. is probably and, and is doing safety sensitive work is probably being drug tested for THC
2: but through the traditional through means, the traditional right.
3: do you have this metabolite in your urine type right. of method uh, right? Um, which are you know deeply imperfect there's lots of ways to cheat that test sure uh Really, what needs to happen in order for our test to be accepted at the federal level is change in, in the federal legal status of the substance, which, you know, who knows if or when that'll happen. Sure. Because there's a lot of controversy on whether it should yeah. be changed yeah.
2: on both sides of the
3: aisle. So Absolutely. I mean, there are- is, is the technology
1: that you're using a, something that's specific, that you own it? Is it patented by the, by the company?
3: Yeah, we have a patent pending, international patent spending, um, for basically the the way that we come at the problem. So it's a method of how we establish um, or how we look at the data and establish impairment.
2: Are are there competitors for what you're doing?
3: There are a few companies that are kind of dabbling in the eye movement as it relates to impairment space. Uh, Nobody's doing exactly what we're doing. Um, We have a really fantastic I think, technology stack in that we have a, a portable headset that you know, doesn't require a computer. We have a, a you know, really sort of – we built this in order for it to be portable, robust, very very rapid, and very accurate. And so nobody is doing quite what we're doing. Many have uh, – not many. A couple have kind of a desktop-mounted um, eye movement reading system. Uh, but most are doing what can be best called a deviation from normal methodology so they look at eye movement on a regular basis and then they try to look at whether or not eye movement deviates from that what has become right. a, a pattern of normal right. eye movement behavior and what we 're doing actually is looking for the indicators of impairment that result from mm-hmm. from, sub, from substance use on mm-hmm. cannabis and then you know other drugs
2: it would it would seem to me uh, and you mentioned it earlier you know there's global application for this and there' yeah. some of the markets around the world that are much more um Homogeneous markets in a way in which uh, you know the regulatory framework and and the rules and regulations might be easier to establish than when you have fifty states and yeah. then all these all, <laughs> all these different jurisdictions.
3: I didn't realize the extent to which uh, each state dictates its own drug testing policy. Yeah. Right, and it's it's really stunning. I mean, it's just an absolute mishmash of of right. policy, and it's extremely complicated to navigate. Even for our customers. you know, Our customers are like, okay, well, what if we want to implement this? How do we do it legally? How do we do it safely? How do we not we're, get – We're
2: in nine states. Yeah. Half of them have this. Half of them don't have it. The laws are yeah. different in all those places.
3: So we've actually partnered with a, a national um, employment law firm, one of the largest, called Ogletree, mm-hmm. and uh, they are providing free legal consultation to all of our customers to try to get us over this hurdle. And so that's a really important, I think, piece of this equation is that not only – you know, our, our business is saying, "Yeah, we want to use this," but now they've got to figure out how to do it in a way that they're not going to get in trouble, and that's right. really that other piece.
2: Well, you did the study up in Canada. Canada might be an interesting market. for Yeah, this we've sort got of
3: thing. Uh, we just onboarded a new sales rep in Canada. Um, we've got some really great interest there. Um, we're looking at other markets as well, including um, we've got interest from Mexico. We've we've got a headset in in uh, New Zealand, um, Australia is interesting, South Africa. Kazakhstan weirdly has reached out. Um, South, uh, yeah, I think it's in South Africa. Yeah. Germany is going to become a recreational cannabis country. We think. You
2: think the uh, Scandinavian countries would be very interested in this because they're yeah, I concerned think so.
3: about safety and.
2: and uh, yeah, how about the Benelux countries? <laughs> <laughs> how, but, I I'm, I'm interested. Like in that, does uh, does the healthcare feel like if you're a surgeon? Do you get drug tested? I don't. I don't think they do.
3: Yeah, not typically. They don't. I don't. I don't think so. It probably depends on the healthcare Medical? system you're a part of, but um, yeah. I mean, you knowledge is doing no.
2: brain surgery on someone, heart surgery, you know, replacement surgeries. You know, you would think that you would want to be sure the person was.
1: Uh, well, people are using these traditional like like acid for microdosing yes. for depression. Yeah. So.
2: Some and, as well as cannabis. Well, we know. I mean, dentists generally aren't going to kill you, but dentists have a high rate of uh, you know depression and micro dosing and mm. you know and you know they and, do and have high suicide rates. It's true. You know, so I'm just I'm curious. I know I don't know what your experience has been in the healthcare field, but that's one area where I think would be very important to be sure that the person who's going to be operating on you is interesting. Is yeah, clear. was there ever was,
1: is, is there ever a, a, a thought that your technology and your patent—if it was integrated with another, a more a broader testing kind of applicate set of applications would be the better way to go versus going it alone.
3: Yeah, we've you know explored things like driver monitoring cameras in cars becoming very common. They look for whether or not you're drowsy. So a future future thing could be we use our algorithms to sit to to monitor the eye movement and tr- try to detect these indicators of impairment and. I don't think we can do all of the same ones that we do, but we can probably do some of them. Interesting. So you need a camera,
1: yeah. And you need and the, the the idea of the headset is it's just completely contained, right? There's right. no the, distraction.
3: Exactly. The headset kind of provides a great environment for us to run these because we can precisely control the light conditions. Right. We can. One of the tests we do is actually measuring the pupil's response to light. And so um, that really helps us with that test. That's one of the ones that I don't think we could do in a car because, you know, you're going to be constantly exposed to varying levels of light. Um, But there are other indicators of impairment that I think could be possible to look at in in an automotive application. So that's something we're interested in. There's others, too, like um, there could be a need for a high-throughput type of application where you've got, um, say, hundreds of people walking through a line every day or something to get into a job site. And you need to rapidly screen all of them, and so something that's faster could be um, faster than six minutes per test you know could be uh, something that we're really interested in, and trying to figure that out would be definitely interesting a great it's a fascinating change. it's such a it, well
2: there's so many facets to it
3: yeah,
1: you're really creating the category and the product at the same time.
2: so what's your next biggest challenge you're facing as a growing business you're moving you're moving from seed capital and startup into you know, hopefully revenue generating, right? So, yeah. So what's your, what's your challenge?
3: We launched the product about a month ago, and the biggest challenge, um, you know, has always been education in this business. Uh, it's always surprising to me when we talk to someone, you know, like a judge who should know this, that they don't know this. And uh, so we're doing a lot of education. Um, most of my day is spent on sales-related activities, so trying to, um, you know, Get our customers educated to the point where they're comfortable buying the product, and then kind of getting them over the line to understand how it can be used um, legally in their jurisdiction.
2: Right, because there's still challenges with alcohol, as we just pointed Absolutely. out. Most
3: you know surgeons don't get tested. Yeah, right. You
2: know, and uh, we know. I mean, it's just common that that, that in every profession, people have uh, developed drinking problems or you know overuse of uh, of uh, prescription medication, that sort of thing, and and. This is, you know, particularly uh, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know if I'd want a surgeon to operate on me on a Monday morning after no. the weekend.
1: <laughs> Let's do a quick ID. Our guest is Ken Fickler. He is the CEO of Gaze. Spelled G A I Z E and the website the website is AI. Correct. Talk about the AI. Yeah. Cuz this is an exciting time for AI and it it's is. a scary time for a lot of people. <laughs> so talk a little bit about AI.
3: We're sort of accidental beneficiaries, I think, of the AI interest. Um, we'll see if that translates to sales or, or you know, extra capital from fundraising. But uh, yeah, so really, what we do is we um, the the magic sauce in our product is uh, measuring the eye movement data that we get out of the headset using AI algorithms. So we have a series of AI algorithms that look at the data, and um, those are looking at. Uh, basically how are the eyes moving in reference to what we know sober eyes and what we know impaired eyes look like. Mm. Um, so using that, we can very precisely pick out the indicators of impairment that we look for. Um, and so we run six different tests, and each test has sort of a unique eye movement indicator that we're looking for. And mm. each substance category has a relatively unique w- like biosignature, different way in which the eye movement changes in response to it. Um, so, you know, we're, we've been really focused on cannabis historically for this company, but um, moving forward, we're actually branching out from cannabis. We've done this big cannabis trial. We're now capturing data on ketamine. Um, we're, we've captured some alcohol data. We're going to capture data on other sure. classes of substance so we can continue to uh, expand the capabilities of the product.
1: That's fantastic, right? So the applications
2: become that much broader. Yeah. So by huh. monitoring eye movement, And then applying AI algorithms, you might be a digital version of diagnostic tests that use antigens or whatever to detect, you know, flu or viruses or sexually transmitted diseases or whatever. You'll be able to maybe in one six-minute test, test for four or five different variables based on the eye movement and that being fed into an uh, AI algorithm platform
3: am I, am I right yeah you're touching on something that's really really interesting to me um, and there there's another company actually that's using our exact same hardware platform yeah. we're, we're not the manufacturer you know we've just built software um, right. so our same hardware platform is being used by another company that uh, is doing um, is monitoring eye movement for signs of head injuries and concussion in particular mm-hmm. so this is really great and useful for a sports team for example when you you know, have some big hit on the field and you want to make sure your player is okay, pop the headset on and in a couple of minutes, now you know, rather than, eh, I hope he's okay. Yeah, because He
2: wants to go play,
3: right? right. They, or sheesh. They want back on the field.
1: Right. It feels like that's a huge application.
3: Huge. Yeah. And we, we see many, many applications within sort of the medical space to do um, eye readings and trying to diagnose certain conditions. I mean, there are many conditions that can be diagnosed using eye movement. Well, um, concussions are one of them. Concussions right? are a huge right. one. You know, yeah. and,
2: and so – a quarterback gets, uh, you know, a concussion. You know, the Miami quarterback who had five of them gets knocked out in the field. They right. drag them off. There's a TV timeout. Yep. By the time there's a TV timeout and whatever, you could have – it's six, it's five, six minutes by the time they're a play or two further in the game. And you will have a you will right. have a reading whether this person is uh, impaired or not at that yeah, point. Yeah,
3: and getting, you know, a repeat concussion is really bad. Yes. I mean, that's that's – severely bad that starts to create sort of compounding trauma in the brain. And so um, that's an application that we find fascinating and, and we're very much interested in moving towards.
2: Yeah, well, that, what that would have to me less of these 50 state issues and you yeah. know, whether it's legal or not legal or whatever, you know, tracing somebody who has a concussion or somebody that has some other kind of uh, yeah. junior athletics, right? Yeah. High, school, yeah, high school, certainly high school athletes. Yeah,
3: what if you're a law enforcement officer or a first responder and you come in upon an accident and somebody's stumbling around and you don't know if they're drunk or if they've got a head injury? Well, now you can pop the headset on and you can find out. Because they
1: present themselves very, in very similar conditions. Yeah. Right. Yes, yeah. that's interesting.
2: You know, and some of the, the, the police overreaction to situations they're not sure what they are turn out to be, as we all know, not what they thought they were. Yeah. It wasn't a violent armed person. It was a person having a seizure
3: of right. some sort. There's a, there's a video that's been trending for the last week or so of a guy in Pennsylvania who was stopped and accused of cannabis DUI and was not high, but the, the officer thought he was. And so now that department's being sued by this guy for, for wrongful imprisonment. And so these are just really bad outcomes that you know, I think can easily be completely eliminated right. using appropriate technology. Because
2: as you know and you've you shared with our listeners, the education process is incomplete. Yeah. And you just can't say I can look at somebody and know whether they're high or not. Or I can look right. at some, you know, the people that act, you know, that are funny and and act weird and you know every every you know barista in new york city would say you know was high whether they are or not but you know you have no you, know, you have no way to judge that right
3: and in a, in a best case scenario you're relying on human observations you're relying on your your subjective opinion right and you're running tests that are fraught with human error so well, that
1: brings up such a great point because yeah. there are some industries that you shouldn't even come to work unless you're rapid eye
2: movement. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But then there are people, for example, for years. I mean, a good example, you know, for us in the older generation, you know, you know Dean Martin was always thought to be a drunk, right. he, You know, and he played the drunk on TV and always had a drink in his hand, but he was—he wasn't. Wow. That was just a whole hat. A sticky hat. That yeah. was a sticky sure. hat. There <laughs> or were Cheech and Chong. There were a couple yeah. of other people that did the same kind of thing, you know, and would Foster act that Brooks. way. Foster Brooks was another one, would stumble over, and he wasn't drinking; he was just part Cheek of Cheech and Chong. You know, so, yeah, for well, your for your generation, Wiz Khalifa.
1: Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, my kids. Ken, give us some background. Where are you from? Where did you? How'd you get to Montana? Are you from Montana? I'm
3: actually from Montana. Yeah, I, I grew up in the Bitterroot Valley. So just about a half. An are hour your parents south. from here? Um, they, my neither parent is from here. They both ended up at the University Where are they of Montana. From? My mom's from Virginia. Uh, my dad's family is from New Jersey.
1: Where He's, he, uh, I'm from New Jersey.
3: Okay, hold on. I just read this. <laughs> um, it I can't remember the name of the little town. does but but It was, it, matters, it was very, very close to New York City. Okay, okay. that's where that's where I'm from. Okay, Scott's from.
1: And then you you grew up here.
3: Yeah. So um, my my dad was born in North Dakota, and then they um, they moved to Montana. And my dad's dad was a preacher, so they kind of moved around a lot. Okay. And uh, they landed in Montana at one point. Um, Ended up, my, my dad and my mom met at the University of Montana, and the rest is history, as they say. Were you educated there? Were you educated? No, I actually went to MSU. I Did you? I went over the hill, yeah. My, my
1: son went. <laughs> Got a great education. No disrespect to U of M. And then how did, what, what was your course of study? How, how are you doing what you're doing today? Like, what's your path? We have people that are in, that are in college that listen to this show, so we want to My path them. has
3: been non-traditional from the start. I, I graduated with... Um, a business major, business management, and um, international business minor. Uh, I also took as much Arabic as I could um, at MSU and and studied abroad in Morocco for almost a year. Uh, From there, I got fascinated with technology and thought technology was going to be one of the driving forces in the world. And so I really have leaned in on that, even though I don't have a, you know, I wasn't trained to be a a software developer or whatever. Um, But I've become... Very competent, I think, in, in the technology space and I've trained myself to identify interesting opportunities. And this has been the latest one.
1: Phenomenal. It's such an industry, it like right. you, you really are creating the, the category and, yeah, and it, the product,
2: which is cool. So as you fun. as you travel around and yeah. talk to potential customers in Canada, Europe, you know the, is it an advantage to be from Montana or a disadvantage?
3: yeah I think it's mostly a disadvantage unfortunately um, there's this pervasive opinion that technology doesn't get built in Montana. If you're not from Silicon Valley, you're not building technology, uh, which is hundred percent wrong, and even right. the people in Silicon Valley anymore would tell you that right it's you know and and this was manifested very strongly when I was raising capital. It was difficult to raise capital, even for me you know well, that's I,
2: always been a challenge here in Montana, yeah, yeah but always, I know
3: all the people who provide capital in the state of Montana right. Personally, like we're on a very first name basis. Right, friends, that's the nice all that. thing about it. Right, and it was still hard for me. So, right. like somebody who doesn't have my level of connections, it would be impossible. You know, that's something that was really, really hard. It hasn't really worked against us in in talking with customers. You know, although I wonder if it, if things could move faster if we were in a more traditional technology center. Right. Um, well, but you, as often as not, they're like, "Oh wow, I you know I took a vacation in Montana once. It was awesome." And I'm like, right, yeah, right. yeah, it's a great I watch lifestyle area. <laughs> yeah, Right. Yeah.
2: Well, the thing that I found when I was at the, at the World Trade Center, a couple of things that resonate from what you said. One is that even the Board of Investment in Montana does very little investment in Montana.
3: Totally. So you know, so oh, that's a that's always zero. a challenge. Yeah.
2: And, and then secondly, there are certain uh, sectors in Montana that are, that get a boost from being here, like people that make hot tubs or make things they, it's like a swiss watch yeah. there's this belief that if you know that some guy that looks like jeremiah johnson sitting in his <laughs> cabin making fly rods or making bows or making hot tubs and therefore they they're like right. custom custom made totally. things sims yep. has got you know sims has got the yep. with that but i think you're absolutely right the technology thing is very biased it's new york silicon valley you know san francisco la you know Miami gotta,
3: anymore, but yeah, not Missoula, Montana.
2: No, it's, it's a little, a little bit. Even, even though Bozeman had, you know, right now technologies and, yeah. you know, we have some some offshoots of name companies like Oracle here and whatever. It's still not it's viewed still, in in a, in a sense as as a technology hub, so to speak. So
1: exactly. Let's take yep. a quick break. Our guest is Ken Fickler. He is the CEO of Gaze. Back after this. Arnie, we are back with our guest, Ken Fickler.
2: I want to talk to you about money. $1.2 million, it's to some people, it's a lot of money, but it's not a lot of
3: money. Yeah, it goes fast.
2: You know, if you're trying to launch something globally, even Nike doesn't have the ability to to take a new shoe and put it in every market in the world. Yep. You know, they have to ramp up to do it. Yep. So you need more money at some point. What's your thinking about how that's going to progress?
3: yeah so we raised one point two million as a seed round um, that's even you know a relatively small seed yes. round as far as uh, technology startups go and so um, we had intended to raise some additional capital around now, and we you know based on the capital markets being kind of not the best we've managed to extend our runway um, and so we are gonna I think raise a little bit of additional capital sometime soon um, and that'll probably look like an a round and uh, we'll Talk to all the normal players for sure. that.
2: Well, there you know, also might be some industry players you know, as you talk about yeah. not just cannabis, but as you mentioned, some of these other industries totally, like you yeah, know I think you know N- NCAA might be a, a source of funding if they, if they're taking concussion protocols and other things seriously, or the NFL. Sure, you know where it's you know it's almost every game somebody's yeah, getting get knocked big, unconscious.
3: Big companies that are in our target industries are, are absolutely of interest as strategic. Uh, investors. Sure. Yeah. So we're having some of those conversations now and we'll continue that. And, um,
2: and so if one of our listeners wants to find out more about what Gaze is doing or how, would like to make an investment in the company or, or just is just curious, how do they get a hold of you?
3: Yeah. So our website is um You can also email me at ken at gaze.ai.
2: Fantastic. Direct
1: to the CEO. Yeah, direct, how big is your staff?
3: I've got five. Five. And Four hi- full time. You're hiring. We are considering expanding the sales team a little bit, um, sure. you know, with, with the capital constraints in mind. Hard. Um, we're certainly gathering resumes in preparation for uh, being able to do that very soon, yeah.
1: We have, you know, in our remaining minute, the interesting thing that you had brought up before a little bit with technology and People having tech jobs here with CTG and, um, what is it? AG, ATG, ATG and AG, Cognizant. Right, and, Cognizant. And, and so they're there, right? They're here. Right.
2: You just got uh, to, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's a lot it's, of competition for them. It's just a, a, a perception issue. There's plenty of technology things going on here, but Montana is not viewed that way. Yeah. You know, and we're not portrayed that way in any media, right? It's Yellowstone, a river <laughs> runs through it or whatever. It's you know, it's it's yeah, fighting it's over land, shooting, you know, cattle and you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Taking bodies and dumping them in the Tetons so you don't, <laughs> so there's no political. or porn. witness protection. No witness, yeah. That's how I got here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think they both think that's how we got here. Yeah, right. Anyway, Ken, you've been a delightful guest. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Us. I
3: appreciate you having me on. It's been a pleasure.
1: We'll help, we'll have you back. Great. i love that. Okay. Arnie, I'll see you next week. Scott, take care. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to What Do You Know? I can't wait for the next show, Scott. I'm excited too, Arnie. If you'd like to suggest a guest, send me an email at scottrichman at townsquaremedia.com.
0: We'll see you next week. And thanks for listening to News Talk KGVO. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. <laughs> text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger, put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.